I am so thrilled to have in studio with me my good friend, Ben Martin. I'm happy to be here. You Very are, much, Kim. You're a former Army Ranger. Yes. And you are a patriotic historian. I hope to be. Yes, and I am. you have a love for the American idea. As everyone should. <laughs> As everyone should. That's And that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things, and I've said said this the last few days, but um, when Dr. Cranowitter gave the presentation regarding slavery last month at uh, the Centennial Vino and Veritas, he didn't sugarcoat it. He explained what was happening. And you could have heard a pin drop. And then he went ahead and talked about these the American idea that, Slavery was prevalent throughout history, throughout the world. And it wasn't until the Americans who came up with this, this philosophy, this idea that all men are created equal, that they have these rights that should be protected of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that that created a problem with slavery. It did. And, uh, and so he talked about that. And Christy Whaley, my friend, came up afterwards and she said, I have fallen in love with America all over again. Um, that's great. Everybody should. Once you learn, once you learn, you do fall in love. And that's why we're doing this show. Oh, that's right. So we've been uh, working through this, a conversation each month with Ben Martin on the Federalist Papers. Uh, where are we today? Well, this is a great part of the Federalist Papers. And we're at a critical junction in the study of our Federalist Papers here in the studio. After studying the first volume, which was called Union, and it consisted of the first three of this whole six parts of the Federalist Papers, we talked about the necessity of the Union first, then we talked about the deficiencies of government under the Oracles of Confederation, and third, we, we need a government as energetic as the one proposed by the Convention, which is our proposed Constitution. So that was the first volume of the two volumes that Hamilton divided the Federalist Papers into, and the first three parts were in that, and the second three parts are in the second volume, which we started last in our last show. In our last session, we turned into the second volume, which is entitled The Merits of the Constitution, and, a, and sometimes called The Conformity of the Proposed Constitution to the True Principles of the Republican government. I think that's the one that's the more descriptive of it. So and so we been, talk... talk well, ben, just a question on that. So the volume one, which, what uh, numbers does that cover? It covers number one through 36. Okay. And then the second part obviously covers 37 through 85. Got it. Okay. And it's divided into three parts, just like the first part is. Uh, but the but really the one part that we're talking about that covers all of it, it most of it, is the is the first is number four part four which is about the conformity of the of our constitution or our government to the to true principles of republican government. Okay, I'm having a little trouble following. So okay. we have volumes well, um, and then we have parts. Right, is what you're talking right. about. Right, the the volumes of the first two that were divided, and that was Hamilton's that was Hamilton's convention where he said, okay, we're going to put the first three parts into volume one, and then we're going to call that union. Okay. And then we're going to talk. Well, then we're going to put the th- next three parts of the whole six parts series. Got it. And we're going to put that in the second volume. And we're going to really call that, and what I think of the merits of the Constitution. First of all, you know, he established in the first part what we need in a Constitution, what's been wrong with our Constitution, the Articles of Confederation, and then what we need. And he talks about that in general. And then the second part, we have this transition period, and one that we talked about last 
our last session, and then what we're going to talk about here, where we talk about the general powers. But that whole second volume is about how the merits of the Constitution, how our Constitution really deserves to be considered is uh, the greatest constitution in the world. You know, Ben, I think what you are just describing here is something that we all should learn from, and that is, first of all, these gentlemen, John Jay, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton, who wrote the Federalist Papers, they, first of all, thought about what the what was wrong, the deficiencies of what they had. They understood that, and they explained that. We in America today, just instead of, the, we may inherently go, well, I don't think that's right, but... You can't just say, I don't think that's right. You have to understand what that is so that then you can give the solution. Exactly. And we've moved away from from, uh, making sure that we understand those things. So That's what the Federalist Papers is all about, Kim. And it's relevant then and it's relevant now. Oh, it's and that's the way they wrote it. Was it was uh, wasn't only addressing the issues that they were facing now, but they wrote it so that it could address the issues in the future too. And and that's that's what's so great about these people that got together and did this. They they fought and they argued to come to the right conclusions. If you look at what the proposals were when they first went into the convention and what the con- what came out at the end at the Constitution at the Constitution, at the end of the Constitutional Convention, there's a world of difference between them uh, because people worked on that and they decided, they fought in to, to, to get to the right, what they thought were the right solutions. And they've turned out to be because it's the longest running cons- written Constitution in the history of the world. So I need to interject something here. And that is here, this is in today in Colorado. Yesterday, a report was issued by uh, an organization called Building a Better Colorado. And uh, it uh, has used, it's used something that's called the Delphi Technique. And they've brought people in. They chose them. And they, uh, you had to be invited to be part of this group. And it is, it, the Delphi Technique is a, a technique that basically you make people think that you are listening to what they have to say when there is actually a pretty much a pre determined outcome. And what this is going to be used for is then to try to get rid of Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And that is so totally different than what you were describing. You had men that had ideals in mind and to try to figure out how people could thrive and flourish. And they came to deliberate about that and come up with something instead of some predetermined outcome. And that is the big difference from what we're seeing in Colorado today and the founding of America. Well, and it's true. And, but they also, those people, besides having the great ideas and the great knowledge of what history had taught them, they also had interest, too. They had self-interest, as as Benjamin Franklin famously reported at the end of the Constitutional Convention. But they brought them together, and what they came to realize was that we have to do things for the general welfare, for the general good. We can't just do things for, and for our own interest. Because if we do things for our own interest, we'll do just like what you were talking about before. When you have special interests, that means you have to take away from somebody else's interest. And so they they all had interest and they brought them together. And then they said they put these interests together and they said, well, we have to satisfy these interests and, and still look. And they have to be in the interest of the general welfare. Mm-hmm. So they have to be good for everybody. They can't just be good for 
Massachusetts or Virginia or South Carolina. They have to be good for everybody. And, and, and the other thing that they did once they did that, George Washington said, hey, when we do this Constitution, we're not sending it to the states. And he, he sent that back to the Congress. And he said, don't send it to the states and have the state legislatures do this. This has to be by conventions within the states and not of the legislature, but of the people. And and that's why our Constitution was universally accepted by, by all of the people, and it still is. It starts with we the people. We the people. Okay. And that's really good. And so let me just... You, you know what? Let's do this. Let's go to break so that this next um, uh, segment can be longer so that we don't interrupt you because we're going to jump in. And so let's do that really quickly, Steve, uh, because we want to say thank you to our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Ben Martin. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. And we are having a conversation with Ben Martin, my good friend, former Army Ranger, and uh, he is a patriotic historian, expert on the founding, expert on the Federalist Papers. Okay, let's jump in here. We've got a we've got important information to share. Yes, we do. Well, we're talking now. When we got to the second volume here, we talked in the first two sections of the second volume. We talked about in this thing. We we talked about the delicate work of the con, of the convention, and then the general form of the proposed constitution. That, and then we talked about the quantity of the general mass of powers in the new constitution. So that's where we were. So we took, took from the first volume and we turned towards, we started turning towards the constitution. So these parts were the inflection part. Those two sections were the inflection in the Federalist Papers. And then we turn to this, this section now, which is the separation of powers. And I look at this as the nexus. The real important point, a nexus is defined in the dictionary, is a connection between two or more parts. And so these two parts are brought together by this, because after we finish this segment, we're going to go to the specific parts of government, and we're going to describe those in in more detail. And so that's why I call it. So this thing, when we get to this section and we get to the last part of the section, because this section is like all the other sections, if you read the Federalist Papers, it starts off the first Federalist paper in this section has an introduction to the section. And then the last part of the the last paper in this section, as in all the other sections, is kind of a conclusion or a summary of what we've talked about in this section. And that last part, that last paper is uh, is 51, which I look at as, if not the most important, at least one of the most important. But I think of it as the important, and that is really the... the nexus, the nexus of okay. the Federalist Papers, because it reaches all the way back to the first sections and the first part, and then the 9 and 10 especially, and then it goes all the way through because it refers back back to them, and then it goes forward and it projects to the different parts of the Constitution and the individual parts, and that's when specificity comes into play. Okay. So if we look at that, so we, we have those, and so we start with number 47, and 
as they always do in the Federalist Papers, they're looking at the objections and what the people are thinking when they're writing the Federalist Papers. Mm -hmm. And so they're looking at, okay, what are the objections to our our Constitution? Mm -hmm. And 47 starts that off, and it says, the big objection, and that's the one that Madison addresses, he says the big objection that the most respectable people have, the most respectable anti-Federalist, is that we, our federal, our Constitution, in the the parts of the Constitution, the parts of government, the departments of government, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial are not totally separate and distinct. And, it's, and they, you know, put their fist down on the table and say, that's what, that's what Montesquieu said. Mm-hmm. We have to do that. And the way our way Publius does that, in this, in this case, Madison is Publius, and they always go, okay, let's go back and look exactly what Montesquieu said. And Montesquieu didn't say that it had to be totally separate and distinct. And so he makes that argument in there. And then he uses the words of Montesquieu in, the second, in, that, in that argument mm-hmm. back to them. And he says, this is Montesquieu, uh, Montesquieu's maxim about they had, the parts had to be separate and distinct. And then he uses his own words and he goes, goes back and he says, this did not mean that the, part, that the departments had to be and have no partial agency in or no control over the acts of each other. His meaning, and this is a quote, as his own words import, can amount to no more than this, that where the whole power of one department is exercised by the same hands which possess the whole power of another department, the fundamental principle to a free constitution or subvert it. Okay, I have to comment, and I know Steve is uh, probably thinking the same thing. What you just said and when you, what you look at what uh, Governor Polis just did with this executive order right here in Colorado regarding saying that Colorado, Colorado is going to be a total renewable, 100% renewable by 2040, and he has put in place 24 unelected bureaucrats that is a direct affront to the constitution it is actually, of the united states it, exactly that it is okay. that. it is exactly that and so what he what he says there was in 47 he says no Montesquieu, the the guy that we quote most, that our founders quoted most while they were doing the Constitution, said Montesquieu didn't say that it had to be totally separate and distinct. And so then after that, that's 47, that's the first one we were introduced at. He goes into 48, which is next. And in that one, it's a total turnaround where, Mon- where Montesquieu and, the, and our, our founders say that the maxim requires, he says, the control over the others, the degree of separation with the maxim requires as essential to free government can never in practice be duly maintained if we... If we do, if we separate the department so much that they are not connected at all and blended, as to give each a constitutional control over the others, and if not we don't do that, then the degree of separation can never be satisfy the free government's uh, criteria. And then he also talks about in there about parchment barriers, which we will talk about more in fifty one. Or written provisions of the Constitution, they are not adequate to, to maintain this separation. So then they go into 
49 and 50, and they say, well, okay, let's look at some other things that have been proposed. And these have been proposed by Thomas Jefferson, who is far off in France right now. And he says, well, you know, one of the things that could maintain the separation is that if we have conventions, uh, we appeal to the people every so often or any time uh, some kind of subject arises where we think that the Constitution is not being followed precisely. And he says, so we can have these these conventions of the people. And so what they say there is that's, that uh, that is... We can't do that because every appeal to the people would carry an implication of some defect in the government. Frequent appeals would, in great measure, deprive the government of that veneration which time bestows on everything and without which perhaps the wisest and freest governments would not possess the requisite stability. And so that's how he says, you know, we can't go back to the people every time we have a problem because that would say that our Constitution is really not adequate. And so it would just really kind of discredit it almost. That's exactly what it said. And then it wouldn't it wouldn't bestow that stability Mm -hmm. that that, that time would possess. So that's 49 and 50 now that he talks about. And those are the ones where Jefferson's. So Jefferson being the person that he is. People have to look at that, you know, and he, mm-hmm. they, we have to refute that because he represents Virginia, too, sure. which is our, the biggest state at the time, the, the most powerful of the states. So then in the remainder, he goes into 51, and that says the first sentence provides a convenient point of departure for understanding the essays in this part of the Federalist Papers. That's 47 through 51 all devoted to the principle of separation of powers. In this sentence, Publius asked, then because of all these things, to what, ex- to what expedient then shall we finally resort for maintaining the practice, f- the, the, nece- the necessary partition of powers among the several departments as laid down in the Constitution? And then in the remainder of 51, he answers that question. And, he, and I'm going to use his famous quotes to summarize these answers. The first answer, the answer, uh, see, it, these answers are in sequence as they appear in, the, in uh, Essay 51. The only answer that pe- can be given to that question is that all powers, these ex- exterior powers, these provisions are found to be inadequate. These exterior provisions, provisions are found to be inadequate for the defect which must be supplied. So by so contriving the interior structure of the government as that is in the several con- constituent parts may by their mutual relations be the means of keeping each other in their proper places. So he says these exterior provisions that we've been talking about in these parchment barriers, they don't do it. So we have to contrive the interior sections, mm-hmm. and it's their mutual relationship that he's talking about. So then he goes on to say, the great security against the gradual concentration of the several powers in the same departments consists in giving to those who administer each department the necessary constitutional means and the personal motives. So that's really important to resist encroachments of the others. The provision for defense must in this, as in all other cases, be commensurate to the danger of attacks. Now, that's a theme that's repeated throughout the Federalist Papers, that it, the, any, the, any powers that you have for resistance must be equal, commensurate to the dangers of attack. Okay. Okay. So, so we have about three minutes. So we're going to go to the three minutes. So 
I'm going to talk about some of the things in here that, again, ambition must be made to counteract ambition. The interest of the man must be connected to the constitutional rights of the place. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices would be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? And he's saying that that's a, that's a reflection on human nature. And human nature, a reflection, is a pejorative. It, it, it has a connotation of, of being a negative when you talk about reflection. And he says, if, so he says that because human nature is flawed, we have to have government. Because otherwise, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were government, to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. And so he's talking about those things, and then he goes on, in framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. And a a dependence on the people is no doubt the primary control on the government, but experiences taught mankind the necessity of auxiliary uh, precautions. So we have those, and then then he goes on. There are means when he go, we goes back to nine, where nine and ten, where he really talks about those different those different auxiliary precautions, and he says, you know, these are the means and powerful means. This is a great this is a great quote from that by which the excellence of republican government can be retained, and the imperfections lessened or avoided. And then he goes through those things. He talks about the, the difference of, of the, di- the different things. And he talks about federalism and that. And he says, in a compound republic of America, the power surrendered by the people is first divided between two distinct governments, the state and the federal. Then the proportions allotted to each subdivided um, among distinct and separate departments, which is the separation mm-hmm. of powers. Hence, a double security arises to the rights of the people. Oh, my gosh, Ben Martin, that is amazing. So we're, we're through 51 now. And uh, so next, will you come back next month? I will. We'll yeah. continue on with that then. And we'll talk about the first part is the legislative okay. branch that we'll talk about. Fantastic. It's always great to have you here.